Today, you're going to hear from Mike Hopkins, who's both a talented and caring leader. He's the COO, Chief Operating Officer, at Paul Davis, where they do restoration of residential and commercial properties. Mike, in his past, has owned several franchises with Serta Pro Painters, where I happen to work. And also, he is a man of faith and has planted churches. Mike's leadership style is about being gentle with people and tough on results. He leads with love because it makes good business sense. You're going to want to take note of some of the messaging around being connected and humble and healthy, invested and present. John and I at one point in the podcast even make a suggestion that Mike may want to author a book at some point. Here's Mike Hopkins. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, really happy to have you. It's been a bit of a time coming. We had talked about it a few months ago and uh, happy to have you here. I know you've had an entrepreneurial journey in several ventures. Uh, Would love for you to introduce our audience to you, Um, maybe what you do now, but then give us a bit of a story version of your entrepreneurial journeys, and John and I, we are going to pick away at a few questions and discover a little bit more. Yeah, you bet. Thanks very much, Rich. Yeah, you know, for me, I'm currently the Chief Operating Officer for Paul Davis Restoration Incorporated. Uh, We operate across the U.S. and Canada. We have 328 franchises, and we're just nearly a billion dollars last year in top-line revenue. Um, How do I survive in an environment like that on a podcast like this? It's a very entrepreneurial one. Um, and so uh, that's a lot of fun. I, I say often that I, I'm fortunate they get to work in a, an environment where it feels like a billion dollar startup. So that's a good time. That's the, that's the current today. Um, and, you know, for me, uh, entrepreneurship's been a part of my life since I can remember uh, selling gum in middle school. I, you know, it, it always has been a thing that or cutting lawns in, in, the high, in through high school or plowing driveways and moving forward. And eventually I, I came across this concept uh, that you guys are well familiar with called College Pro Painters and uh, had the opportunity to uh, run a, a business in the summer where first year we had nine employees, second year we had 27 and uh, made some good money at that, but learned very quickly that I didn't, uh, I didn't have the skills I needed to take it to the next level in, in life, let alone certainly in business. And so uh, went on corporately to work with College Pro, had a great time with that. Uh, quite frankly, couldn't handle the built-in turnover. Um, that is just not, that was just not my jam, fellas. Uh, uh, it was hard to say goodbye so often uh, to people that I'd really come to know and love very well. And so uh, got involved with sort of pro painters after some investigation came back to that. Um, at one point or another, owned seven of those franchises, but never more than three at once. Uh, really had a, a wonderful team there. Uh, from basically 1996, sold those businesses in 2010, um, where uh, I went on staff vocationally working in an urban context at a church we were part of planting about 10 years earlier, and uh, really had a ball with that. And, and what was interesting was I never had the, and I never had the desire to do consultative uh, work in, in consulting, um, but what I found was it was a lot of fun and very life giving. And so, um, in uh, in 2015. Uh, spent some time talking to Rich Wilson, who I stayed in touch with, 
And, uh, and he said, Hey, we need, we could use a little, little support here on the operation side. Would you check out Paul Davis? And so the rest is kind of history from there. So that's a little bit of my entrepreneurial journey uh, along the way. Yeah. Thanks for that. I'm curious for you to expand on what you learned as an entrepreneur uh, up until the point that you did church planting Mm -hmm. and then how you use what entrepreneurial lessons to work in church planting. (laughs) Tons. Um, So I would say, uh, you know, first and foremost is that if without a vision for where you're going, nothing will happen. Right, whether that's a, a big business, a small business, a, a large nonprofit, a small nonprofit, a church, or likewise, you know, where are we going and why are we going there? And what would it look like when we have a win? You know, what do wins look like? And so I think that's something that I certainly carried forward um, from that. And, and I think the other the other piece of it, and I realize this working with a, a good amount of nonprofits is that a lot of times we have people with lots of passion, but they don't have a lot of experience in in building out a team or coaching a team or having a good planning process with some accountability toward goals where we all know along the way that we're achieving the things that we want to achieve. And, and, you know, people feel better when they know that they're, they're going somewhere and they're winning. And, and um, that's something I certainly uh, carried into it. And um, gosh, I mean, it with a, with a people first mentality, that's how I've been, been wired um, it, it's a, it's a great fit and a great help to have business experience working in the nonprofit and in the church environment. You know, you talked about people first mentality. You had said you had a bit of an issue in college pro with some of the turnover because you didn't want to say bye to people. You had mentioned building out a team and coaching. Can you share some of the principles around working with people that are most dear to you? Hmm. Well, I would, I would just tell you this, that I, I heard it once said, um, be gentle with people and tough on results. And I think that most people enjoy their work most, most often, um, when they have an environment where they get pushed hard and, and people breathe into them and help skill them all up, but also believe that they're going to deliver on the promises that they make. And so if there's something holding them back from that, we work hard to uh, help fill in the gap of where skill needs to, to, to grow and, uh, and my goodness, it's amazing how things happen. Um, I think for me, uh, I don't see work and uh, life outside of work as separate. To me, that's one orbit. Um, people I work with are my friends uh, and peers are my friends. They're not, they're not someone that I just work with. I've never lived that way. I never will live that way. And um, that makes a big difference. Uh, because when you have friends in your corner with you, you can get a lot more done. The gentle on people, tough on results. It's a quote that I wrote down that I'm sure is resonating for some of our listeners. I'd be curious to go just kind of one layer under that and ground it a bit. What does a conversation like that sound like? What does that look like when you're gentle on people, but tough on results? And, you know, we don't need to go to a full-blown role play here, but can you, can you demonstrate, like, what does that conversation sound like? Sure, Rich. I, first and foremost, it, every conversation begins with some kind of check-in. Do I, and it's not a passing thing. It's, it's, it's expecting an answer. How are you really doing? How are things going with your family? Do I know what's going on with you? Do you know what's going on with me? Um, you know, have, have, do we really know what's happening in one another's lives? And that's a piece of it that's important because uh, that goes along with the prior statement 
uh, I don't believe that people leave work at work and home at home. And so the better we know where we're at, um, the better that we can work with one another to achieve results. And then, you know, as a, as a, for instance, you might have someone who's got a difficult situation at home and they also are having some difficult issues at work where they're not accomplishing what they want to accomplish. Well, if you know a little bit about what's going on at home, you can, you can work together and say, well, with, with all that going on, can we problem solve the work issue together so that instead of having two big issues in your life, you only have one. So you can, you can also have a win in your life here at work, which therefore can also make it a little easier when you get home to love on and support whoever it is that's home with you, with your family. And um, that's been a, that's been a big deal for me. And, and, uh, and I've, I've seen it work time and time again. Um, And it's not just disingenuous. You really need to care about both ends of that to make it work. Yeah. Mike, you know, it strikes me that you're, you know, again, as we talked about before we started talking today, I've known your name for a long time, incredibly impressed with the results. When you talk about owning seven franchises with Pro and three at the same time, uh, that's quite overwhelming. I know you had some great success there and obviously great success with where you are now. And as a chief operating officer, you strike me as somebody with just a lot of empathy, like just a lot of understanding of people, a lot of love of people. So I could... You know, barely know you and, and I can feel like I can trust you already, right? But the component you just talked about, I think is a very important one uh, that I think sometimes we overlook. As entrepreneurs, we're so interested in the result. You said you're going to do this this week. You didn't do it. Let's sit down and have a conversation. You're not hitting my objectives. But the check-in process, uh, I think is, is, that you just talked about, is so important to build that trust and that relationship. Can you provide just maybe a few tips for people listening, entrepreneurs listening that have one-on-one meetings with their teams or, you know, see them in the water, around the water cooler. What are some things that you can do to not just be like nice weather out there today, right? And move on to the results subject. What, what are some tactical things they can be doing to check in appropriately with empathy? That's a great question. I would say that I would say this to, to lead out. I do, I do a very regular meeting with our team members. We call it goal setting and review. And at the, at the very top of that preparation that they put together for me is a, is a, is a area to fill in called headspace. Hmm. And uh, I don't allow for fluff there. I really want to know how you're doing. You know, it just says excellent. No, no. Excellent. Why? What's, what's going on that makes you feel that way or struggling? Because this in most people, I know when it's, I know when it's really working, when someone shares something very personal there, because they know that that meeting is just between us. Yeah. And so, um, Practically, it's that way. When I was uh, running our running our sort of pro painters businesses, um, not only did I have that, but I had a, a very common five great things that happened this week uh, before they even lead into anything else. And I mean, I'd have people go at first, they go, my goodness, what do you mean? What, what do I put in there? And I said, well, whatever comes to mind, right? Well, it's all personal stuff. Great. I'd love to know that your, your little one hit a home run in T-ball, right? Um, whatever it might be. So that's the first thing is I actually systematize it in a way that is um, part of the goal setting and review process. Um, but it also becomes just a regular check-in. I mean, I'll do, I do little things, John, someone will have something neat going on in their life or big going on in their life. I'll actually calendarize a follow-up to check in with them um, right. on it because it's that important. You know, I, I, I met with a friend last Saturday uh, from way back in the day in high school, he's got an important event going on next Wednesday. It's already in my calendar at one o'clock just to shoot him a quick message to check in and see how it went. Yeah. You know, that, that sort of thing. And I don't hit it right. I don't, I miss a lot. 
um, I, I, gotta tell you, I feel like I have a long way to go on this, Yeah. but, but I do know this, you know, um, Steve Farber says that love just makes good business. I think he says damn good business sense, but um, it's an interesting quote. And I really believe that. And I have my whole career um, early in my career. I was highly criticized for it. Um, now it seems to be a little more um, socially accepted. Um, yeah. But uh, what was but, that you know, criticism about Mike? Can you expand on that? Um, you know, I, a matter of fact, I've had people tell me you can't be friends with your employees or you can't be friends with your franchisees. And I've told people who have said that to me that I probably should go somewhere else. And I didn't. We didn't. It didn't that didn't end up happening. I said, well, we're just going to trust you with this and see where it goes. But I that just that doesn't fly for me. I mean, that that flies in the face of what we do. If we're going to spend you know, more than a lot of times, 50 percent of our waking hours during the week at work, it ought to be with people that we really care for respect and want to spend time with. Um, and, and we ought to be the kind of person, you know, reciprocating that as well. So it's yeah. not just about others. It's about who, who are we in the, in the marketplace? Yeah, that's awesome. And I think Mike, one of the things I, I've heard the same thing before, right? You can't be friends with people you work with. And, and by the way, I've had a lot of struggles over the years of working with people I love so much about. So even though they weren't attaining the result, I couldn't let them go. And I couldn't, I couldn't be tough on that. Can you give me a little bit of, you know, how does that, uh, what is it, the velvet rock, I guess, sort of speak? Like if you're gentle on people, but you're tough on results, if you love them so much, don't you give them a lot more leeway and then it can hurt your business? Interesting take. I had someone tell me one time to remember that people in your business are teammates, not family. And that was a really important uh, bit of learning for me. Uh, he said to me, actually, uh, Rich, it was Martin Bonner, um, said to me, uh, hey, if you had a, a team, uh, you know, a team member who was a family member and he ran a 7340, um, where would you put him on the team? And I went, I don't, I don't think he could even be the person bringing water out to the players because, I, I you know, we've got to get in and out of that. And so a lot of I've I've hired lots of friends um, over the years, John, and 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 what I've found is that the relationships have been incredible. I've got people who we had to had to agree to part ways, and we're still as tight as ever. I've got college roommates that I live with that work with me in college and post college, um, and I happen to be the guy signing their paychecks. But we're as close today as we ever were. And I think a lot of that is really good communication where where there's a good understanding in the organization that it's about the organizational goals and the organizational win. And if I'm dropping the ball, for goodness sakes, call me on that as well. And if for some reason, you know, even if you're a dear friend, if, if, you're, if you're not able to do what, what it is, the, the role is that you're here for, um, why or why not? Can I help? Is this still a good fit for you? If it's not a good fit for you, let's be okay with Go in another direction. You know, I'll do my very best to give you a, a good, healthy, safe landing. Um, but it's, it's worked out really well many, many times. And I've got folks that I, you know, planted churches with, did other business ventures with, uh, spend time with on a regular basis who were folks who used to be employees. So yeah, it, it can work. Yeah, absolutely. So you now work with hundreds of franchisees. You, you know, have done a lot of entrepreneurial work and you have been an entrepreneur, entrepreneur yourself. If you had to go back to some of the learnings you've experienced, not just yourself, but from other entrepreneurs, uh, and I want to stick on this subject again of gentle with people and tough on results. Cause I think it's a massive subject. And I, and I do uh, love the way you look at love equals good business sense. Uh, you know, if, if applied properly, 
how has that hurt people and how can they adjust their style? So for example, I just gave a good example there where, um, you know, I, I have people I love, so I keep them too long uh, and I don't help them go and free them because they're not in the right place at the right time. You know, that's an example. But what are some other examples you've experienced and lessons learned around how to do that the right way and maybe the wrong way? Yeah, um, I would say first and foremost, um, I've definitely done it the wrong way a lot. And um, I think that's where the biggest learning comes. Unfortunately, I had people in my life that would call me on that. Um, you know, so I'll tell you some uh, negative experiences that learned to, to good leading. I, I, I'll tell you what, uh, some big mistakes, maybe some things not to repeat, right, that yeah. you learn from a lot, um, is that I, I, I'm, I'm also a very high urgency guy. Right. And so that comes with that comes with issues because I like to get stuff done and I like to see it done quickly. Um, and uh, so now for the longest time, I had written on on a whiteboard in my office. Be curious. You know, this concept of seeking to understand before spouting off whatever it is I want to say. I can think of a situation where, you know, uh, a guy who was uh, was a GM for the residential side of our business. We had a customer complaint. Uh, that came in that quite frankly was just ridiculous that it, it just shouldn't have, it shouldn't have happened in our environment. It was very unusual for that to happen. And that was in the days of Nextel radios. And um, I did the little beep into him and, and said, Hey, uh, Hey, uh, you got a second. He said, sure. And I didn't, I didn't check in on his environment hmm. and I was very hard on him in that context. And uh, because I was quite frankly, I was angry. I didn't take time. First of all, to, to think it, this is completely in contrast to what I told you of how I yeah. live, but because of situations like this, where I've blown it so bad, I think I've gotten, you know, a little bit better at doing it better. Um, and, you know, it's pretty tough on him there. And uh, about 30 minutes later, he called me fuming mad, not in an Nextel radio. He called me. Yeah. He said, do you know that my in-laws were sitting with me when we just had that conversation? Oof. And I just thought to myself, how terrible was I to him in that situation? I would never want someone to do that to me. And uh, I, I should never do that to somebody else. Yeah. And that one was very, that one sticks out in my mind is a situation where I really need to know someone's context and, all, and where they're at. So not only mentally, but that was just a physical state of sure. He said he was available, but normally like, Hey man, Hey, congratulations. This thing happened. I wouldn't normally do that. Right. So he wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't in a stance to take uh, what was very uh, unusual um, in my behavior, but I, I, I treated him badly there. And I learned a lot from that. So I would say that's one thing. Um, the, the other thing that I would say is that um, <laughs> we can't dream too far forwards for people. I think where, where I have, where I have hurt people in this uh, on the people side of the equation um, and I've seen success as well in the past. Um, I think I would dream for people. And, and what I've learned is to set vision um, along with others and see who comes along. Um, when I dream too far ahead for people, they get ahead of their skis a bit and they're doing things out of obligation instead of heart and desire to learn or grow. Yeah. And it, it doesn't work. Um, and so, and for those who are very highly motivated, who want to move forward at a rapid pace, they're loving this vision. And a lot of times they might even get a little ahead of where I'm at mentally on things. And, and then I'm, I'm jumping in, in the Peloton behind them. Right. So it's a, it's a beautiful, um, it's a beautiful, it's beautiful uh, music when you do it that way, but boy, is it, 
I've dreamt way too far ahead for people. Um, and, and it, it can hurt too. So that's a couple, yeah, I, couple examples. I love, I love that, that idea of, you know, be careful about dreaming too far ahead for people versus casting a vision and let them go get it. So I love that. And, and certainly I'm sure along the way you've been burned. I'm sure along the way you've trusted people, gave them love. You were gentle on them, tough on results. And for whatever reason, at the end of the relationship, you were like, they took advantage of my love and trust and relationship, but yet you get up again the next day and still trust first gentle on people, you know, along the way, I'm sure that's part of your nature and style. So I, I just, I could tell that from just talking to you. So I, I, I love that you are a big believer in people, uh, which is fantastic. And Rich, I mean, you, you and I had that Nextel experience. We actually would just click the Nextel button, let it go. And then we'd wait for the other person to respond back to make sure that, you know, it was a proper communication. Remember and, the and proper response, John? What's that? Remember the proper response? Uh, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, so that's a sign. Go ahead. Um, so I'm, I'm gonna. I want to segue here. I, I feel like you know a lot of people are listening to this audio. Uh, they're not gonna necessarily see the the YouTube component of this. But Mike, you're the first guest that has more books than Rich in the background. Uh, <laughs> Rich has every book that, that that usually a guest mentions. So what is your favorite book? And Rich, do you have it behind you? <laughs> I guarantee you, he has it behind me. I have. I, I read. I read a lot. I like to read. Um, that's certainly not all my books. Um, many of them, you get a, get a point in time, you just get, you get rid of the ones that you go, I'm not going to reference that probably again. Come on, Mike. That's a fake background. Be honest. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, can, if you, I mean, I can go grab a book if you want, but. <laughs> oh, no, we but, can but, see the Paul Davis wall hanging. It's not fake. Of course. Yes. I mean, I can switch it to a remote background if you want, but yeah, I get, I get to work in this office. It's really neat uh, out of our house here in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, so I would tell you, I would, I would lean towards um, telling you what I read recently that I loved is I loved reading The Motive by Patrick Lencioni. Um, I, I really enjoy his stuff. You can probably tell his stuff is a pretty good fit for my personality and style. So maybe that is a little bit of me reading things that I like um, in styles that I like. But really this concept, of, and it goes well with what we were talking about today. One of the key concepts in that book um, that I really uh, I think is important are two things that are passionate. One is make sure you're having some healthy conflict. Don't be afraid to have conflict. And another one of his uh, key components of that book, and there's a few others, I don't remember each, every one of them, is to make sure you're communicating well and effectively with your team. And I'm very passionate about both of those. Um, so again, um, so that, that would be, that would be one that I think, um, I really appreciate. And I love how he started that book out saying, you know, that a lot of people start out, uh, they have a desire to lead. Um, and their main reason they do that is for influence or fame or what have you. And yeah. quite frankly, it should be out of um, responsibility and, and it bears a burden. And I think that that's a, a really important piece. So I've appreciated that. Rich went back to grab something. I just something. have to flash it. it you said, <laughs> there it is. We have it. So I, for those I knew, that are I, listening I, and not watching, I just got the motive off my bookshelf. Mike prompted that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, I got a book to read. Yeah, it's a good one. It's it a good one. one. Mike is yeah. a is a Pat Lincioni fan. Have you read uh, Five Dysfunctions of a Team? Yes, sir. So a question that I have, I'm going to tie it in to asking you about five dysfunctions, but I want to feed back to you a couple of your quotes today. I miss a lot. Long way to go. Done wrong a lot. Uh, blown it so bad. 
You practice something there that I think is, you may not have learned it in five dysfunctions of a team, but in the five dysfunctions, they talk about um, trust and specifically vulnerability-based trust. When you say those things, what are you tapping into there that you've learned to tap into? Because beyond maybe any guests that we've had on the podcast up till this point, you're allowing yourself to be seen in ways that may not be flattering and you openly speak about it. What's happening there is a leadership principle for you. You don't need to tie it to five dysfunctions, but that was what came to mind for me. But I'd love to hear you expand on what's happening there and maybe some of the growth in you to get to the point where you could be comfortable being seen like that. You know what? Too many people... uh... So I'll back up a little bit to say it's fascinating when people interview for a job and they're surprised that they get it because they know themselves and they're afraid that maybe someday they'll get found out. And I will just say that I think um, I want everyone to find me out ahead of time. I've got lots of faults, uh, lots of things that I do wrong, grateful for the team that that I'm surrounded by and I get to I get to run with. and our goal is to make each other better. And if our goal is to make each other better, then we have to know where it is we need to improve. And for, so f- to answer that, Rich, I would just say this, that um, what makes me comfortable that is, is, you know, is, is my true North and that's my relationship with God. But also I don't want anybody to ever hear a podcast like this or something like this and go, Oh, I remember a time where Mike lit me up. I would definitely, you know, like, of course I have, I think I'm characterized by not doing that. But there has been moments where I surely have, where I've had bad moments, you know, where I'm just not loving well in that at that time. The other thing I would say, too, is that, and Rich, you and I have discussed this before. Um, for me, I have these uh, really five core things about me um, that I, can, I, I journal about almost every day um, that matter to me, and I call it my chip. So that's my, my acronym, I'll call it, for connected, humble, healthy, invested, and present. And humble is really important. I think that I am shortchanging anyone and everyone around me if uh, I present some kind of aura that I have it all together at all. Um, we're all on this journey together. And I also... Um, believe that if I expect people, as Lencioni talks about, if I, if I expect uh, people to be transparent with me so that we can be better people in a better organization, then I also need to be that, that with them. Mike, can you, can you give it to me again? Committed, humble, and I got present at the end, but I, I couldn't sure. write fast. Yeah, sorry. I, I went a little bit fast there. So connected, humble, yeah. healthy, um, invested, and present. Gotcha. Thank you. Um, and so humble's a, humble's a very important component of that. Um, and not humble that I, I lack confidence, um, but humble, that's just real. Uh, I, you know, let's, let's not pretend we're something that we're not. Is humble something that you've had to develop or is it something that's always come naturally for you? I say that, that, that was probably, uh, hotly burned into me over time. How so? Uh, yeah, I mean, I can think of early days. Uh, and I think a lot of that, a lot of that humility comes first from 
um, realizing that you made lots of mistakes and people talking about mistakes, but also rich, I think the very first time I'll never forget this. I was working, I was assistant superintendent at a golf course and, um, my boss was just, we were getting stuff done. And, uh, to put some perspective on this, I was in high school at the time. And, um, so, uh, he said, Hey, you're, you're leading where you shouldn't be leading. And I, my, my, my snappy, arrogant, uh, responsible. So somebody needs to lead. Hmm. And he said, why don't you go home for the day and let's start again tomorrow. And, uh, I'm like, okay, obviously I went too far there. That was many, many years ago, right. As a guy who's over 50 now, that was a long time ago, but that's emblazoned in my mind. Um, and, um, I was definitely out of bounds there and, gosh, if I was in his shoes, I might've asked, I might've said, Whoa, that, that stung. Why, why'd you say that? Um, you know, so, um, along the way you, you pick up some things. And also I think, um, the other, the other piece of humility, Rich is, um, leading through losses, like when things aren't going well, um, you know, you know, our business, well, Rich, at some point I could talk about that, but I mean, there was a season of our business that was really, really challenging and humbling, that worked through and ended up being a great story. Had it not, had it not gone well, um, it wouldn't be as much to talk about. But in, in those moments, I think that was another time where I learned that just being raw and real with where things are and being a realist um, really works. For the note takers that are watching or listening, if they just wrote down leading through losses, what would be two or three bullet points underneath that that they should be aware of about how do you lead through losses well? Hmm. Well, we could, that could be a whole other podcast. Yeah. Um, I, I, would, I would say, uh, first of all, um, be real about where you are. So ident- identify your current, the current struggle that you're, that, you're wrestling, that you're wrestling with and that you have to overcome. So that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is to engage the team around you to help be a solution to the, to the issue, to the problem. Give them an opportunity to come to the rescue and, and be a part of solving a really big business problem that, quite frankly, you're not going to be able to solve on your own anyways if you're running a, any, any organization of any size. Um, and you brought them in to, use their, to see their brains at work and to use their giftings um, to help. And then the third thing is uh, to take strong and decisive action when you've all agreed on the direction that needs to be taken. Um, you know, no passivity allowed in those situations. Wow. So let me recap. Leading through loss. Be real. If you're not actually talking about what the loss is, you're not going to solve any problems. You're not leading. So be real. Identify what needs to be overcome. Number two, engage a team. Use them for their gifts. You're surrounded by them for a reason, use them. Mm-hmm. And then number three is take action. If you don't ultimately take action, you're not leading through losses. Yep. Yep. No agree That's with great. That. It, you know what that prompts me to ask you? When you're writing your book, Mike, I mean, you just came yeah. out with that off the cuff and there are some serious leadership lessons in that. Have you ever considered writing a book? Uh, I've been told to do that quite a few times, so I could probably use some help from you guys on how to do that maybe someday. Um, yes, that was off the cuff, but I, I, uh, 
uh, I guess I should consider that at some point. I've had a few folks say that. Yeah, that's yeah, you know, it's interesting, too, because I know we're, we're going to have uh, Cameron Harold come on and speak with us soon. He runs COO Alliance. Sure. He's written a few books. And, you know, hearing you talk, I know, you know, to some degree, all of us were cut from the same cloth from the college pro background. But I hear a lot of similarities there. And I, I would resonate with Rich that, you know, there's so much content and knowledge. And I think your perspective is different, Mike. I, I, I completely love the entrepreneurial perspective that comes from. Um, you know, the love of people side to generate strong results in a business versus the KPI driven results oriented, let's go uh, entrepreneur. So I, I would, I would concur with, uh, with Rich in, in that comment. Um, and, and as it relates, you know, you obviously love reading. So, and, 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 and I also want to go back to journaling. I want, I want to get back to that if I can. You talked about journaling every day which I have just started this year based on uh, one of the guests we had, uh, Dr. Julie Bell, talking about, you know, thinking leadership time. Uh, talk to me about CHIP. I mean, because, you know, I love that acronym. Uh, am I understanding the acronym correct that you do a check-in with yourself on CHIP when you journal every day? Is that kind of your process? Or can you tell me just a little bit about your journaling process? Because sure. uh, it's something that I never subscribed to, is told I should journal. Never thought I would be a journaler, and here I am now journaling every day. I'd love to hear a little bit about that process and maybe how that can help me. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'd like to come back, too, to the KPI uh, note you had earlier as well. So yeah. on, the, on the journaling front, for me, my day starts off pretty early. Um, everybody's wired different, right? Um, when I'm, I'm a high extrovert, I love to be with people. Um, Rich knows that well. And so once my day starts, I don't want to be alone with myself and God anymore. I'm ready to be with other people all day. And, uh, and so it's very important for me to get thinking, processing and grounding done first thing in the morning. Um, and so I'll sit down and, and read for me. I'll be reading out of the Bible in the morning. Um, I'll write down something that impacts me from that. I'll also, um, and then in addition to that, write down some things related to maybe uh, a success or a struggle from the day before where I felt like I won or lost in a situation where I want to really be um, introspective a bit about how yesterday went and then how I'm going to handle that today. And, and I probably journal about that, that, that idea of that acronym, that acronym just came out of the words that mattered to me, not so much an acronym and then innovated, you know, um, and, uh, and, and I journal on that nearly every day, I would say three to four times a week. Uh -huh. And, um, and I don't write a lot in my journal. I'm not a guy that writes page after page, uh, in it at all. It's what is a key thought of the day that matters to me that I learned as I read. And then a lot of times I'll just, I'll just read through, a, uh, you know, read, a, a few pages out of another book to help get me going as well. You know, like this morning I, I read some out of a book called gentle and lowly. And, um, and, and that's a story about the, the leadership of Jesus and, um, they kind of get my day going. So I would say that's how it is for me now. It's just part of a pretty regular rhythm. Um, and I also know that it's a cool little memoir for people someday if they ever want to thumb through it. You know, for we've got, you know, uh, really almost now seven kids. So um, we've got, you know, four boys and a, a daughter that uh, we got, we adopted four years ago, we're blessed for that. And then our oldest is married. So there's kid number six. And then our second is getting married this summer. So there's, there's kiddo number seven. Um, and, uh, and, you know, someday if they ever want to poke around in that and see what was going on in the brain of dad that he didn't share at the dinner table, which I'm pretty wide open, um, then they can, you know, it's a, it's a neat little memoir opportunity for them too. Mike, we had a, a guest 
named Randy Soma who came on and he wrote a book called Leadership. And in that book, he talked about what that was. And it was essentially uh, executives that would prioritize profits over people. And when there was a tough decision to make, it was do what it takes to hit the bottom line. We asked him at the end of it, I think John asked him, what's a solution? What's a door out? And he, and he kind of left us with, it's systemic. It's all over. Not sure, basically. John and I talked a little bit about taking personal responsibility when we did a debrief. But man, what I love to hear you talk about your perspective on profit and people and how to have a balance between profit and people. And where is that balance? Yeah, that's that's a great. We could talk all night on that one. Um, you know, I, I would just say this first and foremost is that one of one of the core values inside first service is respect the individual. And so when someone makes a commitment and, I, and, and that for me, by the way, it fits very well into my own personal values. And that's one of the reasons I love being a part of this organization. Such a good fit um, is that if someone commits to doing something, you believe that when they make a commitment to that, they will. And by not holding them accountable to what they committed to, you're disrespecting them because you're believing that um, what they committed to, they weren't going to do anyway. And so, so I would say, you know, and that goes a little bit back, John, to what you're saying on the KPI piece, right? Um, you know, friends, <laughs> I joke around, but I mean it. Friends don't let friends miss goals. Um, and, and, and that's, it's, it's, it's a thing, right? Um, in the midst of that, though, what you celebrate gets accelerated, right? So, I would say um, twofold, you know, well, let's say it this way, what you measure gets, you know, gets done, right? But what you celebrate, it, it gets accelerated. And in light of what you just said there, Rich, I believe wholeheartedly that if you're not going to be people first, you will, you in the long run will not have the profits that you're supposed to have. We have a unique opportunity to, to shepherd or steward our organizations that we're part of. And um, gosh, I, unless you have a fully robotic system or something that's completely AI driven and humans aren't involved, which I can't, I don't know of an organization that does that, but we're in the service business, right? So um, people to me aren't an asset. People to us are our brand. And so um, if our folks, if our folks um, don't know that they're, that they're first or they're not feeling first, they're not going to deliver best in class service. If they can't deliver best in class service, we're not going to get best in class results. We don't get best best in class results. We're never going to deliver profits. So if it's profits before people were doomed, it will never work. And the and the answer is um, that you know, I, uh, um, uh, gosh, I'm forgetting his name. My gosh, the CEO from Virgin Airlines, um, Richard Branson. Branson, thank you. Branson said that he actually said customers don't come first. They don't usually say that at the beginning of it, but he does say very pointedly that employees come first. If you take care of employees, they will take care of your customers. Yeah. And that's, that's the piece, Rich, that, you know, I didn't read, I haven't read the book yet that you're speaking of, but I think the answer to me is very simple. If people aren't first and then profits will suffer. And then we're being irresponsible with the organization that we're leading. Yeah. I think part of the issue, Mike, uh, as, as I'm sure you've experienced in your lifetime, you know, 
when you have companies that go through a COVID crisis or you have companies that are having economic downturn or the company's not hitting their goals, there is boardroom pressure. What are you going to do, Mr. COO, because you're over budget? Mm -hmm. And then you have the people versus profit decision uh, that you have to now execute on because you have a fiscal responsibility to the board or to your company and your role. I, you know, ultimately, though, what ends up happening, at least from my experience, is you have to look at your team, uh, your friends, your loved ones, your family, uh, and, and really assess how to get out of this situation because maybe goals were missed or targets were missed. And, you know, I love your friends. Don't let friends miss goals. But unfortunately, if you had to make cuts in an organization, do you look at that as cutting some people to hit a profit goal as a problem? Or do you look at that as, well, you know, sometimes businesses need to make that decision for the sake of the goals they have. But it's if you don't let, you know, the friends that miss the goals, unfortunately, and, and that weren't able to sustain are usually the ones who will be let go. And we try to help them along the way. I guess, how, how do you look at that? Because I'm sure you've been faced with a situation sure. where you had to make some hard decisions on people for the sake of goal attainment. Uh, yes, I have for sure. And, and I would say this, that I think, I think it was Drucker that said, you know, the organization must survive. And so, uh, you know, we have thousands of people that wear the Paul Davis logo every day. Yep. Um, somewhere around, I would suspect around 6,000, not including uh, subcontractors that work with us who are partners with us. Um, and uh, if the organization doesn't survive, uh, or isn't healthy enough to come out strong, it, it damages the whole. And as hard as that is, sometimes those decisions need to be made. And I would also say, though, that if someone did need to get moved on, you know, it, no matter how hard it is to, to deal with, um, I always want to be available to help them any way I can, resource-wise, reference-wise. You know, anyone who's ever worked for me and, and, and parted in a situation that was maybe like that, or uh, a very, hey, this is just not a great fit anymore, but you know, it's not as if you've violated the core values in some way, but you really are an A player in our organization. We just, with circumstances dictate that we have to change it. You want me to be a reference for you because I will keep that human on the phone for at least 15 minutes when they want to spend three yeah. um, to explain to them all the great attributes that are about you that matter. Yeah. You make a lot of really great points there right off the bat because- you know, ultimately, if the organization doesn't survive, all the people are going to be affected, number one. And then number two is usually the people that will not survive cuts in organizations are those that maybe the entrepreneur themselves put them too far out over their skis, uh, right? Maybe sold them a forward dream they weren't ready for, uh, all the things you talked about before, and or uh, they were letting their friends miss their goals. And so they didn't have that accountability infrastructure, right? The be tough on, be, uh, should we be um, gentle on people, tough on results uh, component to what you were talking about before. So, you know, I think it's very important when we look at that overall picture, uh, you know, letting go of uh, somebody, there's accountability usually to go around the horn, but how you do it and how you try and prevent people from being in that position is a leader's responsibility to the point you made earlier. As a leader, you have a responsibility that's born on you to not put people in different positions to fail. 
it, oh, oh my word yes if there's a, if there's a failure and you have any type of uh, oversight over that role you ought first blame i ought first blame myself yeah yeah like what is one thing that you feel maybe the majority of your franchise owners might know but maybe they're not doing enough that to do another training isn't going to help because people already kind of know it, but they're not doing it. And then what is your approach to bridge that gap of knowing versus doing? The thing um, that I would say is uh, organizational discipline around setting and holding people accountable for goals. Um, Just to kind of keep it simple into what we've been talking about majority of our time here where we set these goals at the beginning of the year they might be proximal broken down semi-annually quarterly and monthly and weekly and maybe even daily and i think um the reality that um what we need to get used to is being okay with tension around that being okay with saying what caused you to miss that goal you know was it was it not you know was it not a realistic goal you know was it was it something that wasn't attainable um, or, uh, was there something else going on that caused the miss? If there's something else going on that caused the miss, um, is there something that the person or our I as a, as a, uh, person coaching them in life, um, can help them with to make sure that the next time it doesn't happen again. Um, little wins are big wins and little losses end up being big losses. So I think that's the, I don't know if that really specifically answers, Rich, what you're looking for, but I think that that, that discipline around be, being okay with a li- being a little uncomfortable um, in some conversations, uh, I think actually builds trust in my experience. Yeah, I think that's great. And by the way, I'd, I hadn't thought about what my answer to that question would be, but in the top three in Certipro would probably be similar is setting goals, holding accountability, developmental tension in a healthy way. What is your approach to bridging the gap now between people know, but they're not doing? How do you mm-hmm. approach that to help them do more? Yeah, it's interesting. I just finished a book um, last week that I, I feel like the whole world read but me called Switch. Um, and I'm like, how did I miss this one? It's back on your shelf, right? I won't get it. So, so it's either the ride or the elephant or the path, you know? And so um, when, when I, one of the things I think a lot of times is myth, missing is that if we, have, if we have a rider who's bought in and we have um, a group of people who are ready to get going, but they don't have a clear way to win, uh, I, you know, I think that's a clear path to winning. I think that's something. So for me, it's really digging in deep enough onto why we missed the goal, not to, not to beat somebody down, but to make sure that we problem solve so that, so that if the struggle happens again, we're in a place where... Um, we, we've got, we've got a clear, um, we've got a clear path to win and it's, you know, the barriers are taken down. I, I liken it to, you know, lobbing a soft pitch, uh, softball at someone versus a, a fast pitch, uh, softball, right? Because, um, it's, it's a very different, it's a very different environment. So what can we do to take down barriers that might, might really create more opportunity for a miss versus a win, mm-hmm. um, and then commit to that right? They need to commit to that. And, um, and it needs to be their goal, by the way. 
Um, you know, we, we joke about this in our world, Rich, but it's not goal shove and rebuttal. It's goal setting and review. So if people don't believe in their goals, and, and I think those goals are best set by saying, what does the organization need from me during this time period? Um, is what our, the person we're working with should be asking. Um, so I think that's, I, that's a lot more than what you asked for, but. That's um, Thank you. Um, I think last question for me, as we start to wind down, uh, maybe a, a bit ago, I don't know how long ago you mentioned I'm over 50 now. I actually took a note on that. <laughs> uh, so you're over 50 now. You've had a really accomplished career where you've made an impact on a lot of lives. What's next for you? And what is the mark that you want to leave on the world? How are you going about leaving that mark? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, I think the, the big thing for me is that it is, as long as the things that I get to help people accomplish in their own lives carry on, um, I, I, that's a win. Um, I love to see people win. Uh, really, me accomplishing is probably, I would be honest and just say, it's not all that relevant. I don't, I don't aspire to a title. I don't aspire to a number. Um, you know, do I, do I not want to be a financial burden to our kids ever? Sure. But that's not, that doesn't, that's not the win that I'm looking for. I'm looking for something that lasts and ripples for many years to come and especially impacts eternity. And so for me, uh, the biggest deal, and I really just want to come alongside people that say, Hey, when, when, when Mike came alongside me and was part of my life, uh, I left, um, knowing I could do more and accomplishing more as I was designed to. Powerful. Inspiring. Mike, thank you so much for being on. Thank you for sharing so much of your wisdom and how grounded it is in these principles that we've all taken notes on much appreciate your time. Thank you. No, you bet. It's an honor to be with you guys. I appreciate the time as well. Please stay with us for a few more minutes while Rich and I break down the podcast. Rich, I really appreciate you lining up Mike today. I know you spent a lot of time with Mike. This was kind of one of my first times really interacting with him and the empathy and love that comes through him. And maybe that's been years and years and years of experience and learnings, but I love, you know, right off the bat, one of the first things he talked about, right, is gentle on people, tough on results. And he's somebody that I would want to work with. Like, you know, sometimes you meet people, you're like, I never want to work for that person or this person. Yeah. Mike is somebody I would love to work with because I know he would hold me accountable to my dreams, my vision. You know, friends don't let friends miss goals and he would celebrate them, but he'd become part of my family. And deep down, isn't that what people want in leadership? And that for Mike to transition from owning seven Serta Pro franchises to planting churches to then be now being back in business. And those transitions in the heart of a man that would do that and those transitions and to bring that heart into business, it is rare. It's unfortunately rare, but uh, it's always a pleasure to have a conversation with him. I have a, a ton of notes that I took because I look through a few of them, a few highlights for me, certainly, as you just mentioned, gentle on people and tough on results. That check-in, he, he talked about the check-in in multiple ways or about three different ways that he went about just checking in with somebody and not being in such a hurry to get to the reason why we're talking today. And just, hey, John, how are you? How, how are things going for you this week? 
and just it being genuine. And, you know, another podcast guest of ours, Michael Alasso, yeah. would say you can be intentional and authentic. Yeah. So just because the check-in is intentional and Mike has a check-in, that's part of what he does. He has headspace on his goal setting and review. It's intentional. But what you get from Mike is it's both intentional and really authentic. It's that's not difficult. a checkbox. It's so difficult, Rich. I mean, I, if you don't have a process, a system that people understand and believe in you, that it is authentic, it's so difficult because, hey, did you have a right nice weekend, this, you know, Rich? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Did you hit your numbers? Right. You know, like uh, so many times uh, have I, you know, been more interested in let's get down to business than I have been getting to know my team at a deep, authentic level because my brain is wired for results and then you're an entrepreneur. Hey, we got to go kick some by and let's go. What are the numbers and what's going on? And what you miss is the love is good business sense. The, the, the connection with people, you will enjoy what you do more if you connect with people. People enjoy being a part there, but there's also the element of people will be more accountable to what they say they're going to go do when that relationship is so strong, right? It goes back to the speed of trust and you know how the organization can be more effective if we all trust each other, but you don't trust each other unless you get to know each other. And there's a circular reference component that comes around and you're right, that, that whole check-in piece, I, that's why I asked them a little bit deeper on that. Um, entrepreneurs need to slow down the first few minutes of sitting down with an employee to not just take the fluff canned response of, yeah, I had a great weekend. How about you? Uh, and really dig deeper and, and have a sense for their team when there is something deeper to be able to probe down and go, Rich, I know you say things are fine. Things aren't fine. I, I I know you to know something's bothering you. What is it? I think there are a lot of people listening because I was in these shoes at one point and I've tried to do better since. But I think there are a lot of people listening that would go, yeah, I've missed a lot of opportunities to do that. And my advice would be don't miss the next opportunity to do that. Yeah, It doesn't right. matter what your persona has been with your people you can care about them anytime and demonstrate your caring. You heard Mike say, when there's something going on in their life, he schedules a follow-up about something personal about somebody. Yeah. Um, an example of that for me, I, I got a phone call at eight o'clock at night last night that one of the team members that I have the pleasure of working with, unfortunately, his father fell down and nobody was there and he was laying on the ground for 24 hours and he's now at the hospital and he has a week of training, not the father, but the person who I work with, he has a week of training to do this week. And he said, Hey, I just want to give you a heads up that this is happening. If things turn for the worse, like I'm working on a plan B and I didn't want to talk about what plan B was. I wanted to talk about how are you doing? And is your, is your dad okay? And I literally have an alarm set on my phone because I don't trust that I'll remember. And it's not that I won't remember because I don't care. I just don't trust that I'll remember. I literally have an alarm set on my phone tonight at eight o'clock at night, 24 hours later to send him a text and say, Hey, when you get a moment, how's your dad doing? Yeah. Being intentional and authentic. Uh, 
I need work in this area, Rich. Like, you know, it's not that I don't care about people to your, to your point. It's, do I intentionally allocate the time in conversation or am I too much in a rush to get to the result, right? Do I intentionally programmatically set follow-ups to remind myself, to assist myself to be intentional because I really do care or do I just let time go by and not do the follow-up on that important item? That's an area that, you know, I think a lot of times I, I may reflect that I don't care about somebody because I am not intentional about that authenticity. So just, just like we've learned so many different things in these podcasts, I think to your point, it's never too late yeah. to, to be authentic. It's never too late to journal. It's never too late to do a lot of things. I think that's a big piece I'm going to take away is can I take a little bit of Mike and my management style as I move forward? You know, there's something in generational management that in our generation and the one after us, it's very known that our generation would say, I don't really care about your weekend. I don't want to act like I care about your weekend. Let's get to business. That's what I care about. Yeah. And, you know, the generational thing is at play. My word of advice on that, that again, I've learned and I can teach a learning lesson because I haven't done it right, similar to Mike. Um, the word of advice on that is it's amazing when you take the time to listen to somebody's story, how much you then can genuinely care. Yeah. But so long as we block ourselves out from hearing the story of someone about everybody has their own struggles and you could say, well, that person's struggles or my struggles are better than that one or higher than that one or more meaningful or everybody has their own struggles. Everybody's willing to talk about it generally with people who actually care. If you ask a few questions, if you listen, if you follow up a little bit, if you hear some of their story, if, you, if you're a leader that doesn't actually care about your people and you just want to get to results, Try to listen to their story more. You can't help but care about people when you understand their story and their struggles and their triumphs and you're just compelled to want to work with them and help them moving forward. Yeah, great advice.